0: up it's the rant my name is jeff Racklevin. it is friday june 26th and before we get our weekend started here we gotta talk a little football so on today's show got some interesting questions on twitter i figured i'd talk about them on the pod share my answers with everybody here and in addition to that i want to talk a little bit about expected fantasy points what the heck does that mean and how can we use it to our advantage we'll talk a little bit about that coming up in a bit but i want to kick things off like i said with a couple of these questions you know i i love social well i love parts of social media but i do love the engagement with you on social media and especially when i get really great questions i mean hey when we get into the season there's going to be a lot of start sick sequ- should i start this guy or this guy and and really those questions can be in most instances answered by just looking at rankings but the the nuanced questions, the strategy questions, the overarching fantasy questions. That's what I love. I love this stuff. So I got a couple really good ones here, and I wanted to dive into them. Uh, the first question actually deals with quarterbacks. So earlier in the week, I talked about quarterbacks. And uh, the reality is like that in today's NFL, I mean, hey, such a pass-heavy league, there are, uh, there are so many. You know, 15 to 20 quarterbacks in any given week who could be a starting fantasy quarterback. The difference between the number 8 quarterback and the number 20 quarterback is so insignificant in today's NFL. And hey, that makes it a very fun product, but obviously it has very much devalued the position. As I've said, Lamar Jackson is he is he properly valued as a late second round guy or even an early third round guy? Yes. But would I take a quarterback there? Heck no, because of the, the, the sheer drop-off that you're getting at other positions. I mean, I don't see many running backs at all worth a late-round flyer, unless somebody slides, of course, but worth a late-round flyer in your normal drafts. I just don't see it. The value drop-off is dramatic compared to the second-round guys. But a quarterback every single draft I'm in, I'm literally waiting, not even looking at the position. And this includes in home leagues. You can use this in home leagues. Gone are the days where quarterbacks had to go early. Doesn't happen. But anyway, the question is, uh, regarding quarterbacks, how do we make them relevant again? And this is an intriguing question. Got me thinking a little bit. Now he said the obvious answer is superflex, and I agree there. Now I will say this: if you're in a superflex league, I would not be in a superflex league with more than twelve teams, because my age-old rule, you know, if you, how many quarterbacks you can expect to be drafted in your leagues is typically I take the amount of starting quarterbacks. So if you're in a twelve-team league, there's tw- and it's a one-quarterback league, that's twelve starters and then i add about half of that to the start to to that number. So 6 plus 12 is 18. In a regular 12 team league, you can expect about 18 quarterbacks drafted. Sometimes it might be a few more, but i don't think you get to to double the number. I don't think you get to 24 because there are going to be a lot of teams who only draft or some teams who only draft one quarterback, right? So it's an imprecise formula, but it's a good formula. Now think about it. For a super flex league, really, essentially, it's a two quarterback league. That means you can have 24 starters. So you take that number, add half to it, which now basically is assuming that every team is taking three quarterbacks, which is probably going to happen. Now, what do we get to? We got to 36. That is more than the amount of starting quarterbacks there are in the NFL. We have a problem, right? Because there are going to be teams, and you can use this to your advantage potentially, but there are going to be teams who end up drafting a guy who is not a starter. I did this last year, and it ended up working out. So my strategy in super flex or two quarterback leagues is typically to fade the top 10 pretty much outright and not even really look at the position until about round four. About 10 quarterbacks will be off the board by then, maybe a few more Rarely less than that, though. But now you get into this nice little uh, high floor, low ceiling range that I love for for a super flex and a two quarterback, like a Tom Brady type is is ideal. Uh, if you wait a little longer, like Rivers was always ideal. This year, he's going a little bit later, so you could wait on somebody like Rivers. I don't know if I go that route. I probably am looking at more like a Brady Stafford. Brady Wentz. Wentz has a little bit more upside. Um, Drew Brees could be there if he if he sticks around on the board a little too long. I, I wouldn't go after those top ten guys. Then I try to swing for the fences with the third quarterback. So last year I had a lot of of like uh you know, Brady Rivers, uh, you know, that sort of a combination, and then Daniel Jones it was it was a we a bunch of different quarterbacks as the top 2 but daniel jones almost every one of my superflex leagues i had him and it ended up panning out a little bit i mean he was inconsistent but obviously the ceiling was massive you could go that route but the problem there though still is are you that comfortable going that route are you that comfortable trying to take a shot on like justin herbert this year i i don't know if i would be so we get into that spot where you probably have to be a little bit more proactive. Just did a Superflex mock, and my third quarterback was actually Derek Carr. Don't, don't love it, but he's going to be the starter. Not really worried about him losing his job to Marcus Mariota in uh, Vegas. So that's where the challenge comes in if you have 12 teams. Now, if you have 10 teams, you could say, all right, so roughly 30 quarterbacks are going to be drafted. Now, everybody probably gets three starters. 10-team super flex, a little bit better than, you know, from that vantage point. 12 is where it's at across the board for me, and I don't mind a 12-team super flex, but like a 14-team super flex, a uh, a 16-team super flex, that that gets a little bit more tricky, and I don't really like that format. So anyway, this is a long-winded way of me saying the answer to the question of making quarterbacks relevant again is to increase the amount of teams you have. That's it. That's it. Increase the amount of teams. Instead of playing in 12-team leagues, playing a 16-teamer. Quarterbacks, the value of the of quarterback and having a, having a decent quarterback now all of a sudden changes a little bit. Because again, let's go back to that formula. 16-teamer, all right. Well, 16 teams, eight of them dra- draft backups. Now we're at 24. 24, 25, 26 quarterbacks potentially being drafted in that format. So as opposed to a a 12 teamer where you have 20 quarterbacks like my number 20 quarterback right now is Kirk Cousins. Now we're talking 25. All right, Gardner Minshew, 26 is Derek Carr. Gets a little dicey there. <laughs> you know, with your if you're deciding to take two quarterbacks uh, or especially if you're deciding to go late round to know who's going to be around in the late rounds, it, it's not as appealing. So for me that's the the obvious answer to the question. I think that we could look at scoring uh, running quarterbacks. obviously the the scales have tipped towards those guys and we could look to that scoring. I don't really have an issue with that. I, I still am always gonna have an issue with the value of rushing touchdowns and receiving touchdowns. I think six is too high. It, it leads us to a false perception of these guys because touchdowns are much more random than targets, than carries, etc. But that's a different discussion for a different day. I thought that was a great question though. Uh, another good question here, when ranking or drafting running backs, you take into consideration the strength of the offensive line. I think this is a fantastic question because one of the mistakes that I will see a lot of novice drafters make is they will overvalue one variable. A lot of times, it's strength of schedule that they overvalue. Now, strength of schedule has its own faults. I always base my strength of schedule on the current roster, not the previous year's fantasy points allowed. But regardless, it's a variable. It is not the variable. And the same thing with offensive line. It is, it's, a, it's a variable that we should be considering. But at the same time, I don't think we should be going overboard there you know, if they're running behind a poor offensive line, then yeah, that's going to be something that we could consider in sort of a tiebreaker type fashion. If they're running behind a very good offensive line, same thing. You bump a guy up a little bit, you bump a guy down a little bit, but up a little bit might only be one or two spots. Down a little bit, one or two spots. So yes, it's, it's a yes, but type answer. Yes, I am considering the offensive line, but I'm not going overboard. Jonathan Taylor is going to run behind a very good offensive line, but I'm not moving him up. I'm still a lot lower than a lot of people, I guess, on him because I still think Marlon Mack's going to be involved, but I'm not going to move him up significantly as a result. You know, Really nice offensive line there in Indy. On the other side of the coin, somebody like Joe Mixon running behind, well, it'll be improved this year, but still a a fairly poor offensive line, not going to move him down dramatically. Le'Veon Bell, again, another offensive line that should be improved this year, was really bad last year in the run game, not moving him down dramatically as a result. Up or down a spot or two. All those different variables are going to play into your decisions. And I think that's really important. It's a great question to call that out because we got to be thinking about all these different pieces. Uh, One other one, this is about a, a very specific question about a player by the name of Bryce Love, who, man, what could have been? If he would have came out a year earlier, it's one of those, like, what would have happened if he never got hurt? The question, though, is, do I think that Bryce Love is worth a stash in Dynasty? And um, he says, I'd have to drop Isabella or Benny Snell. I don't think I'm going to drop Benny Snell or Isabella at this point. Benny Snell, honestly, there were points last season where he looked better than James Conner. He shouldn't, but he did and James Conner's injury history as well. Benny Snell is the early down guy. It's not Anthony McFarland Jr. is not going to be running in early downs. <laughs> if you know what he looks like, he is a change of pace back, totally change of pace back. Uh, so Benny Snell would be that guy if Conner went down. So I'm not dropping him. I'm not dropping Isabella until I know what I have. And I really don't know what I have just yet with Isabella. You know, he could take a big step forward this year and then slide right into Larry Fitzgerald's role when Larry Fitzgerald eventually retires. So let's answer the original question though without having to drop those guys. Is Bryce Love worth a spot in your Dynasty Leagues? How deep is your Dynasty League? Are you talking like a 45-man roster plus a taxi squad? If you have a taxi taxi squad where Bryce Love is still taxi eligible, I, there's different rules for that. I am in a league where only rookies are taxi squad eligible, so you put them on the taxi squad, they can stay there for the rookie season, but in year two, they have to come off the taxi taxi squad. I'm in another league where it's first first three years, so obviously he would fit the bill in that league. If I can stash him on a taxi squad just to see what we have, then I would do it. If I have to take up prime real estate on my dynasty bench where I probably need that spot for somebody else, I'm not going to do it. I don't know what Bryce Love is at this point. I'd love to be able to tell you that. I would, it'd be awesome. I'd say, yeah, he's, he's going to hit or nope, you know, let's move on. I don't know yet. The wishful thinker in me says, let's give him a chance. The realist in me says, yeah, I don't think there's, much here. Got Darius Geist there, team drafts Antonio Gibson. I mean, there's, there's a lot of signs pointing to Bryce Love maybe never being a thing at the pro level, so I wouldn't get too carried away here. If it's a really deep roster, maybe, but that's about as far as I will go. All right, so let's talk a little bit about expected fantasy points, and if you're not familiar, expected fantasy points, it's a really cool stat, and the idea behind it is to tell you what players in similar circumstances have done on average in the past. So, for a receiver, a player who is targeted at the same depth from the same line of scrimmage, like same point of, uh, on the field, how has that player performed in the past? What is the average amount of fantasy points that he has scored? Same thing with running backs. Uh, you know, same line of scrimmage, uh, runs, directional. Uh, you could you can include things like down and distance in it as well to figure out what is the average performance in that situation in the past. And then you can gauge who is outperforming that. And then who also who is underperforming. And ultimately, for any player, whoever you are, you know, if you're the greatest player in NFL history or if you're just somebody who gets on the slight hot streak or you're a really good player and you're underperforming. It doesn't matter who you are. Ultimately, we're going to see regression to the mean. We're going to see players move towards the average. And granted, it it can be a little bit tricky with things like touchdown production because that's typically the one that moves all over the place. But when it comes to um, you know, per catch efficiency or, you know, per carry efficiency, we're going to see those players players ultimately move to toward the mean. And I love to use this metric. I love it mid season. It's a great, great way to evaluate if guys are overperforming. But I also like to look at it year over year. So this is a stat that is going to be available at FTN when we launch, and it's going to be something that I think you're going to have a lot of fun playing around with. And I was actually playing around with it myself uh, to to really help me put together a few things with the FTN. Uh, fantasy football draft guide that I am writing, and just a few observations that I wanted to go over that uh, I found pretty interesting with these expected fantasy points numbers. You quite often hear me talk about touchdowns and how I don't like them. I mean, I like them as a football fan. I, I obviously like them. I just don't like them for fantasy purposes because, hey, they're such a huge factor In especially running back and wide receiver and tight end fantasy points, because of how valuable they are, but they're so fickle year over year and they lead to a lot of misconceptions. Like a lot of players end up either getting overdrafted or underdrafted because their previous year's touchdown totals. So I wanted to go through some of these numbers and and just just to give you a sense of who overproduced the most when it came to rushing touchdowns. So the 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 top dog last year of overproduction, and I don't think it's a huge surprise is Aaron Jones. I mean, anytime a guy is get, goes out and has sixteen touchdowns, like expected uh, touchdowns is never you're never going to see a guy that high. I mean, last year we did see Christian McCaffrey with. 10.8 expected touchdowns. So that's an enormous number. He had 15 rushing touchdowns on the season. That's an enormous number. Like even LaDainian Tomlinson in 2006 when he had 28 rush 28 freaking rushing touchdowns. How about that? 28 touchdowns. His expected number was 13.8. Like that's an enormous expected number and he exceeded it by that much. LaDainian Tomlinson the following season had 15 touchdowns, which is still an enormous number, and he scored basically half as many as he did the previous year. Unheard of. Like I don't know if we'll ever see that again, but regardless, in the run game. Anyway, McCaffrey certainly overproduced, but nowhere near as much as Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones' expected number was 8.4 rushing touchdowns, so 7.6 over that it's just completely unreasonable to expect him to produce at that rate again this year. And he may still hover above his expected number, you know, but he, let's say, you know, again, he's right around that range of, say, eight expected rushing touchdowns. I I can't see him getting 16 or even close to 16. Again, I, you know, 10 might be a much more reasonable expectation which is essentially right around where I'm projecting him. So just keep that in mind. Don't overvalue last year's touchdowns. And the same is even really true for Derrick Henry, who also had had 16 rushing touchdowns. His expected number was a little higher at nine and a half, but still, that's a lot of touchdowns. But it's not just the guys who put up those massive numbers. Like Raheem Mostert last year, he had eight rushing touchdowns. His expected number was 3.1. So this is another one where I pumped the brakes with Raheem Mostert. I'm just not 100% convinced that, you know, that we're not going to see a committee there. I'm also like he got hot. He got hot. That's not sustainable. So be just be a little bit careful there uh with Raheem Mostert there uh for sure. So anyway, we can do the same thing with Receiving touchdowns, you know, and and again, we're 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 not always going to see these like massive expected numbers. The biggest expected touchdown total that I've seen, you have to go back to two thousand seven. Randy Moss had an expected touchdown number of fifteen. That was the year he scored twenty three. But um, some of the overachievers last year, and and this is not just for wideouts. I mean, we could do this just any receiver. Like Austin Eckler was probably the biggest overachiever. His expected touchdown number was 3.5. He scored eight, so well over that number. Uh, A.J. Brown, 3.8. He scored eight, so I'm being very cautious with A.J. Brown. Cooper Cup, 5.8 receiving touchdowns. He scored 10 last year. McCole Hardman, had. I love McCole Hardman though, but he had four more than what he was expected. Scored six. Expected number was two. Darius Slayton. There you go. We had to find a way to get back to him. Expected number was 4.1. He scored eight receiving touchdowns last year. So definitely uh, overproduced, um, You know, exceeded expectation, and all of those guys you could expect some regression from for sure, but that's not to say that their expected number doesn't go up because it certainly could if they get better opportunities. Some of the underproducers, I think the biggest underproducer for me is Odell Beckham Jr., he had four touchdowns. His expected number was seven, so it wasn't a massive. It was 7.1 was the uh, the expected number, but not a massive difference, but enough to say, well, he underproduced, and that's that's actually good intel. We can use that to our advantage. I'm still getting Odell Beckham Jr. at a nice little value. Nice little value. Fourth round. Yes, please. Uh, Devontae Adams was 2.7 under his expected number. He scored five touchdowns. The expected number is 7.7. And, and you have a little bit of correlation there, right? Like if Aaron Jones isn't as efficient, then maybe some of those touchdowns go to the receivers and also to Aaron Rodgers, by the way. So Aaron Rodgers, we could see potential uptick uh, a little bit this year as well. Tyler Higbee, believe it or not, underproduced expected number of six touchdowns. He only scored three on the season. So some interesting numbers, no doubt about it when you start to look at some of the touchdown stuff. And the cool thing about expected fantasy points is obviously, I mean, you're calculating it based on the stats. So you can do it for completions, you know, receptions. You can do it for receiving yards, rushing yards, passing yards. It's a really cool stat to ultimately gauge, you know, again, how these guys are performing either over expectation or under expectation. And and it allows us to ultimately set our expectations for these guys in a reasonable sense. I'm telling you, that is one of the biggest if you can keep a level head about you in fantasy football, you will be light years ahead of pretty much everybody else who plays fantasy football. If you can set reasonable expectations for players and then you know, realize whether or not they're exceeding those or, you know, they're underachieving on those expectations, uh, you're a step ahead of the pack. Speaking of the pack, Rat Pack, I appreciate you. You guys are showing up in full force, giving me the reviews on iTunes. Uh, It's phenomenal. I really, really appreciate that, and keep them coming. If you haven't reviewed the show yet on iTunes, please do review and rate. Takes you two minutes and really helps us get this pod off the ground. We have more things coming Including, I heard a rumor there might be some rant merch coming. It it might happen. If you like the logo and you want to see that thing on a t shirt, I do. I want to see that thing on a t shirt. It may just happen. Anyway, that's going to do it for us today on the show. I have a New England IPA calling my name, so I'm going to go and crack that thing open. But in the meantime, you can follow me on social media at Jeff Ratcliffe on Twitter and Instagram. Use that hashtag #ratpack. That way I know you're a listener of the show. And uh, by the way, something else may be coming soon as well. So we'll have an announcement early next week for you about that. What could it be? All right. I'll catch you on the flip side for another edition of the pod. I'm Jeff Ratcliffe and I'm out of here.